yeah, the reaction to like, there's not enough of this thing being like, well, I'm gonna buy way more of it than I could ever possibly need is not, it's not an ideal response. What if other people need it, but they're not me, so. Yep. Just like with the reserved list. <laughs> now nobody so can ridiculous. play legacy decks or like casual cards that happen to be rares printed Urza Saga or before. I was like kind of upset about the uh, Elish Norton thing from yesterday. Just like mm-hmm. the kind of sheer entitlement. I mean, like part of me does get that just sort of visceral like, oh, I had a cool unique thing and now it's not as unique, but there was certainly no guarantee that it was going to stay unique or anything like that. I mean, to me, uniqueness is in the memories you make. Like, if that's your Elish Norman that you've been playing with and you got it as a judge promo from judging a specific event that you liked or whatever. Yeah, I just year. don't think that's everybody's attitude, though. That's not yeah. how everybody feels. I don't, I, I also, I don't think that's even like how most people would feel. Okay. I'm weird. I understand that. <laughs> You're not like a collect, like, you don't have a collector's attitude. Like, that's not how you approach things, right? But... I have a lot of magic cards. So we're not having a collector's attitude. But you don't, they're not your collectibles, they're your magic cards. Yes, that's true. They're like, they're your tools to play a game, which is mostly how I view magic cards too. But, you know, if you got a limited edition collectible and then they were just like, "Hmm, just kidding, not limited edition. Like, (laughs) you know, there's, there's some bad feeling there. I kind of get it. I suppose I can understand that. It's just really hard for me to imagine like the sanctity of any judge yeah. promo after they yeah. printed a million other judge exclusive arts on like just normal sets. Yeah, and and like this thing is kind of too cool to keep access from the general public. Like I I mean one part of me is like yes, the place to store value in magic cards. Like if you're going to have $250 cards, it should be like neat versions of cards. So like Mystical Archive, JPN Mystical Archive Demonic Tutor or like Judge Foil whatever. Microtransactions, aesthetically changed cards is a good place to do it. So like I get like oh yeah, Phyrexian Elish Norn, super valuable, super cool. But it's just so cool that like it, more people should be able to have it also i feel like wizards probably had a conversation when they were like making this and they're like should we just do four of the praetors the ones that don't have it right and that's and, and they were like but everyone's gonna want the fifth one yeah oh okay we'll just put it in there then <laughs> yeah i mean and and like it's really cool to have the praetors in the phyrexian text like i don't know it's neat <laughs> i think chris said in our discord that he just wanted every card phyrexian related <laughs> To be a Phyrexian text. <laughs> I don't know. You know, if they're going to have a mystical archive type thing in every set, like the next set where the, where the Phyrexians are invading, if they just have like Phyrexian cards from the history of magic in Phyrexian as the mystical arc, like that would be a cool thing. Phyrexian language slot. That'd be neat. Yeah. I hope we do slots like in every set. I've said this before, but it's the best. Yeah. I mean, that particular idea probably would not be the best because no. most, most Phyrexian cards are pretty outmoded. They're not, you know, you're not getting like Faithless Looting and Memory Labs. You're getting Phyrexian Negator now. Phyrexian Rager. Yeah, Phyrexian Scuda. All the all the creatures that were 
beloved for a moment. What's then... the uh, what's the two three infect for three? Sispare? Sist something? The green what's the name one? Of that card. Yeah. Two two energy. Yeah, Sispare. Sispare. Yeah, I want that Phyrexian. I lo- sure. I've won so many games with that card. Yeah, I mean, like Phyrexian, like yeah, the infect stuff. Phyrexian blighted agent and Inkmoth Nexus would be sick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glistener Elf. Glistener Elf. Neurogenic yeah. Growth. That's a Phyrexian card. Actually, okay, yeah, there's a solid handful. Like, all of the Phyrexian mana cards, although none of the Phyrexian mana cards are <laughs> legal, but... <laughs> Dismember. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there's... Actually, that would be kind of sick if there was a Phyrexian language slot. There's, like, 10 or 15, like, sick cards and then a bunch of, like, classic cards that would be neat to have a version like that of. Is Yogmoth's will on the reserve list? It's gotta Yogmoth, be, right? Yogmoth could be one of them. Oh, that would be sweet. It'd be a little weird on this human card, though. Yeah, but I think we could make an exception, right? Yeah. Ah, Yogmoth's will is on the reserve list. Hmm. Technically, they can make premium versions of it, though. They just no, they can't to. anymore. Well, they, they said they were never gonna. Which was dumb. Why would you double down even more? Like, if you believe you're legally bound by the reserve list in a way that you're not willing to violate, why would you double down and make the reserve list stronger? Like, what an idiot move. Jesus, it's $300 now. I remember finding one a few years ago. I'm like, wow, this is $150 and selling this. <laughs> a Yogwell? Yeah. Jesus. It's not even the best version of that effect anymore. Well, it was at the time. Yes. <laughs> and of course, it's doubled in price since then. So Yeah, of course, because they can't make more. What are, what are some cool Phyrexian cards that are not on the reserve list? Phyrexian Altar, Phyrexian Arena, Metamorph. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot, right? Revoker? I mean, anything with Phyrexian mana. I mean, you can't play Gitaxian Probe anywhere, but even Gutshot. Surgical Extraction. Ooh, I found it. Consecrated Sphinx. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. Okay, I, I'm thinking this Phyrexian language slot would work, right? Wormcoil like, Engine, Birthing Pod, uh, the Dragon, the Blight Dragon. I can't remember its name. Skitherix? Oh, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. That's a... Yeah, there's definitely some EDH cards in there, too, right? Like... Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. You gotta get the... Praetor's Council? That's the uh, super-duper regrowth, right? I don't know if that's still played in EDH. Mm, probably. But it's like regrowth everything, and you have no maximum hand size forever. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. We're doing it. Phyrexian language slot. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 196 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, how's it going? It's going good. Are you ready to talk about some organized play announcements today? Organized play? Oh wow. Why are we talking about that again? Did something happen? Well, so something happened. <laughs> Everybody has talked about it already because that announcement came out, you know, the day our last podcast came out. So rather well, than talk about the announcement of the MPL is gone, organized play is dead, long live organized play. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it for a minute, but I don't think that should be the main focus of our show. So I was hoping to talk about kind of our vision for an ideal organized play system to rise up and replace rise up from the ashes of what was destroyed yeah i'm i'm super down to do just some brainstorming of what we would like the system to be and then like you know in two years whenever they get their shit together 
we could just go back and see how right or wrong we were. Or mainly criticize it for not being identical to what we came up with. That seems unrealistic, but I will do it with you. (laughs) Well, we're going to come up with the perfect system, so everything that is different from it is going to be a failing of whatever they do. (laughs) I I will say, though, that if we release again on Thursday, that's exactly when Modern Horizons previews start. (laughs) So we're really just chasing the the tail of the news here. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to get this out tomorrow, Wednesday, 519, (laughs) to avoid that a little bit. Before we talk about our op stuff do you want to quickly mention this past weekend so we had the league weekend we had the qualifier weekend both like kind of hilarious disasters yeah the league weekend's so funny too because they just announced on thursday it was thursday right yeah yeah that by the way the mpl barely matters anymore this weekend is just to see if you get money from us next year and like shots at worlds that's like all the opml is now and then everyone's going to this weekend like uh what (laughs) (laughs) yep and then they had to play a historic format that was 50 percent tainted packed and couldn't even play search for iskanta right yeah so just a fake format completely dominated by a single deck I, I mean, that's not enough to make me, like, dislike Histor- Like, obviously, Tainted Pact is really good. They're, it's been leaked that they are going to make a ban announcement, like, tomorrow, and I'm sure they're going to kill Tainted Pact, so that's fine. It's not, like, a systemic problem with the format. It's just there was one combo that was too good. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they said. I mean, we're just assuming Tainted Pact is going to be banned. We don't actually know yet was ever recording this. Uh, but they said they banned the Mystical Archive cards if they become too strong. That's why they let most of them be legal. Right, right. Uh, the last what we'd play on SCG this week was five <laughs> tainted pack decks out of five selections. So, you know. Did you see the uh, poll at the end? Because it's always a poll. What yeah. deck would you play? And it was tainted packed, other deck, parentheses, LOL. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, not really any options if you're trying in that format. The other hilarious thing, qualifier weekend, day two, queued up, and it was very clearly set up to accept historic decks as you registered. You know, it's a weekend, and and Wizards employees go home for the weekend, so there was nobody around to fix this, it, it seemed like. So eventually there was a tweet from one of the many Magic the Gathering accounts that just said, uh, okay, register a standard deck and not a historic deck and start playing your matches and we'll we'll kind of go from there. And then, like, so pros had to retweet that so people could actually see it. And it's also just the most hilarious solution because, number one, Winota is not legal in historic, so if you were playing a Winota standard deck, you can't register it. Number two... Like, that obviously doesn't work. You're just going to, like, play a match and somebody's going to randomly be playing a historic deck. And, like, what the hell do you do at that point? Yeah, that that tweet was so bad on so many different levels. Like, first of all, you just can't assume 100% of people playing this qualifier are on Twitter. Right. And, And the consequence for not seeing the tweet would be like, oh, shoot, looks like I can register a historic deck. I guess I should do that because obviously... If I register a standard deck, I'm just going to get beat up by historic decks. The client so. tells me it's historic. I must right. have missed something. <laughs> so really, the the most hilarious of all possible solutions is like a tweet telling you to register a deck for a different format in the tournament. Like, but eventually they they killed it and 
I like said we'll do it a different time or whatever which yeah you just can't run the thing if the rules of the tournament are not the correct rules <laughs> it's it's like the parodies where they were like oh uh everyone was projecting what magic would be like in 2024 or something like right after oko and uro were like rampaging everyone but before the pandemic mm-hmm. and people were like yeah, i had to change my deck again another one of my cards got banned mid-tournament yes <laughs> <laughs> oh format got changed I hate it when that happens, but, you know, what do we do? This is magic in 2024. It's just life. So that's all kind of funny, but I don't have any particular commentary on that. It's just par for the course. Oh, I I have some commentary. Mm -hmm. It's the same commentary as it is every time we talk about arena organized play. Yeah. Which is they need to hire more people to make things run effectively if they want this to pretend to be an esport. Yeah, for sure. Like, come on. You can't hold tournaments worth a lot of money on your premier client. And then just have them not work. Right. No, absolutely not. Uh, and and the last couple of tournaments just haven't worked. The Open just didn't work. People couldn't play their matches day one. This didn't work. It was the wrong format day two. Like, you're right. That's 100% a staffing problem. Yeah, because this is probably what happened. Uh, this happens in a lot of development of games where they hire a bunch of staff to develop the game initially. Then once they've got the product to like a stable place, they fire most or let go contractor, whatever, how it works. Yeah, I think we know that they, like, that's been pretty much confirmed that that is what happened here. Yeah. And they're just, like, kind of patching holes in the dam, I think. They're not actually trying to improve upon it or fix anything, or they're, they're just trying to make it as stable as possible. Right, which, number one, they're not quite getting there. And number two, there's a lot of actual proactive development and additions to Arena that need to be done. Like, it needs spectator mode. It needs actual tournaments implemented. Like, it, there's there's a lot of things here. But, I mean, I'll keep bringing that up pretty much every week because I'm assuming this will be a recurring problem. Yes. So, to move on to organized play, just want to briefly recap the announcement that was actually made, which was a little bit confusing the announcement itself was just in this like indecipherable corporate doublespeak. So you just actually couldn't tell at all what they were saying. Like I read the thing and then read it again. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Twitter to find out what the hell this announcement means. And then they had a bunch of replies to like individual tweets. So they were like on other people's profiles and stuff, answering questions about the announcement. And then you could sort of pick up what it meant, but like the confusion really persisted so they announced that they're getting rid of the mpl and rivals fine a lot of people interpreted that as pretty much like we're killing off organized play entirely which is a legitimate read of the initial announcement because it does not substitute it doesn't say they're going to keep continuing organized play right it just says the mpl is disbanded uh we're not going to have a season next year And, you know, in 2023, we'll keep you updated on what we decide to do. That's pretty much what the announcement was. Right. And and so, you know, every single Magic podcast that there is, their most recent episode, as long as it came out after that announcement, has been about this organized play announcement and their takes on it. And uh, they've all had, like, slightly different interpretations of what it seems to mean. Like, the spectrum kind of starts with, like, MTG rants on one end, where, like, they recorded pretty much immediately after the announcement 
their understanding was clearly pretty something pretty close to like I don't know if there's ever going to be another magic tournament again. Uh, and then, you know, maybe something like constructed resources on the other end where like more information had come out and it started to become pretty clear, like, okay, they're going to be doing more things. There was a stream uh, with Blake on it and they like heavily implied like, yeah, we're going to have like pro tours again and stuff and maybe GPs and, you know, we just don't really know exactly what it's going to be yet. Yeah, and honestly, I feel so bad for Blake because his <laughs> job, he cannot be getting paid enough. His job is impossible. He has to keep appearing in front of the public to like answer for all of Wizard's horrendously stupid mistakes, of which he has, I'm sure, no part in. And, and this one was just a huge unforced error of a mistake. It's just atrocious messaging. Just the worst announcement, one of the worst corporate announcements I've ever seen. And, like, wildly confusing and, like, crafted to mislead. I don't know if it was... It was definitely not crafted to mislead, I think. It's just, like, obfuscate. They wanted to skate over what they were doing, mm-hmm. like, as quickly as possible. That's why it was so short. They're, like, knock on the door, slip a note under and run away. The MPL is gone. <laughs> right. And it's just so easy to make this announcement. You just, like, break it up into three sections. Like, what we are doing, getting rid of MPL and rivals. What we are not doing disbanding the concept of magic organized play what we are planning our plans are up in the air but they include the resumption of paper tournaments including large-scale ones with large prizes at some point like put that in the announcement not in tweets replying to like a user tweet or something like that yeah yeah for sure so i I will say that the live stream itself was actually pretty good mm mm-hmm because uh, it was all it, it wasn't much more than what the tweet said but it was delivered well sure and also the chat kept spamming where the 2.1 million missing prize dollars are which, which is fair yeah super fair everyone who said that got banned <laughs> i mean but you can't you can't ban the truth which is that they just took two million dollars in prizes away from it ostensibly because of covid but then every quarter they're like we made the most money we've ever made so you know fuck off (laughs) yeah really (laughs) so instead of just like giving our takes on the op announcement since there have been plenty of those and we're kind of late to the party on this one can we do broad strokes yeah yeah yeah. like like i don't know 30 seconds mpl sucked it always sucked no one watched it no one ever watched it it was pretty clear it was a failure right at like a couple months after it started even in 2019 when paper play was resuming it just did there was no league mm-hmm. when the league started up it didn't matter no one cared yeah. no one could see what it, what it was just horribly implemented in every possible way we've gone over it like a million times already while sure. it's happening in real time and honestly from most people's perspective dissolving the mpl doesn't do anything like, no. there's still no tournaments for everyone else. And in fact, it it probably actively does something, which is, like... Now, we, we never know what Wizards is going to do with money that they free up from somewhere. But there was a lot of money tied up in running the MPL and Rivals League. And it's just, like, in this bubble that's completely inaccessible. Like, it's still pretty much the same 32 people in the MPL as it was you know, at the very beginning of things. A couple of slots changed, mostly because of people, like, quitting or getting kicked out of the MPL. Yeah, if you cheated, 
or did unsavory activity or got hired by wizards. That's how you left the MPL. <laughs> yep. And otherwise, pretty much the only thing that mattered was how well you did in the 2017-2018 season. Mm-hmm. That was that was the determiner. So not not going to cry any tears over the MPL disappearing. Like, it certainly sucks for the people who were in the MPL and hoping it would continue. You know, especially like Mike Sigrist in particular, a dude who could have taken a job along a career path, has a family, chose to do this because it's what he enjoys doing and it looked like there was a future in it and now he's in a rough spot. And so certainly like for individuals, like that's not the greatest thing, but there were really no guarantees here and it was pretty clear this was a failing enterprise. So I immediately, when I heard this announcement, thought of uh, Matt Nass and Andrew Bickstrom. Mm-hmm. Because they were both offered a spot in the MPL for uh, the the initial roster of the MPL, mm-hmm. and they both lived in the same place, had the same a job at the same like company, and BK was like, "No, I'm just gonna stick with my stable career because I don't know what this MPL thing is. I don't know how long it's gonna last and all that." And Matt Nass quit his job. He's like, yeah, <laughs> "Give me that magic money," uh, which I don't blame him for. Right? But it's it was never really set in stone for me i always thought in the back of my head that bk made the like better decision (laughs) yep i mean it's it's the less fun decision for sure but i mean i'm sure that working at direwolf is like a totally reasonable job like i i I doubt you wake up hating your life when you have to go to work but bk made a a decision with some foresight to it Mm -hmm. i i guess to transition to our discussion of like what we want to see in organized play we should talk about like some of the stuff that made the MPL system like a true failure, like what was really wrong with it. And I think like the biggest one is so clearly that it is inaccessible to regular people and totally disconnected to how anybody else is playing magic. Yes. I think one of the hallmarks of the MPL was its inaccessibility. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of touted under the guise of these are the elites. These are the people you want to play or to watch them play against each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that just didn't end up being true. <laughs> uh, people who like watch organized play are really enfranchised players, not necessarily also competitive players, but just kind of liked the, the different storylines and tournaments and stuff and seeing the same people over and over again on stakes that don't matter. Just is not very appealing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that a big thing here, and one thing that makes me really happy, you know, they pretty much said, like, we're abandoning the idea of magic as an esport. Like, this didn't work. And I think that's just absolutely correct. Like, people don't watch magic the way they watch League of Legends. They don't watch magic the way they watch football. Like, I'm not a big sports watcher, and I'm also not really a big esports watcher. But when I do watch people playing Counter-Strike or I watched the Super Bowl. Like, I don't picture myself, like, what I would do in that Counter-Strike match. I don't picture what I would do in that football game. I've never watched a Pro Tour without, like, putting myself in the seat of the player who is playing and imagining, like, exactly what I would do in each of the spots they end up in. Like, that's how I watch Magic. I I think also our Mana Traders tournaments are a really good example of this, too. Like, half of our viewership at any given time is, like, people who are in the tournament. Yeah. 
like the whole point of watching magic is that you are part of it. Like if I watch the pro tour at, I'm at least like, I'm at most like two degrees of separation away from any player playing at a time, just because I have been playing magic for a while. I know a lot of people and they know a lot of people. And I like, you're part of this like broader community. And even though it's not often like my friends playing the match, it's people that I have interacted with or people that have interacted with people I know. So there's a, there's connections there. Even just someone you saw walk around in a bit hall. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I recognize that guy. Oh, Reed's really tall. <laughs> yeah, it was for me, it was like Ochoa. Mm-hmm. When I saw him in person for the first time, he's like, oh my god, he's a giant. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of surprisingly really tall Magic players when you see him for the first time. <laughs> yeah, so so I think it's just really different from esports. Also, like, esports have that different type of, like, technical skill where it's, like, very obvious that, like, you could never do it. Like, I could never shoot the way a, a, a professional CS player shoots. But I can imagine that, like, if I really put in the time... I could play that storm deck as well as that person on camera is playing that storm deck. It's not a matter of like physical ability. And so there's, there's a big difference there. And I think that a huge part of the appeal of watching magic is thinking about yourself in that spot and imagining that, Hey, you know, if I put in the time, I bet I could do that. Yeah. That's uh, huh. I've never thought about it that way, but it just makes sense. I just like watching magic. Cause I, I like watch all these people all the time and the tournament seems like the pro tours specifically. Mm-hmm. I just like seeing how people do what they're, what they're bringing and the closer it is to an open field and an unexplored format, the more interested I get mm-hmm. because it's not just me watching a solid format, like people play it. Cause I, I don't really care about that. I almost right. never watch the late stage pro tours all the way through. Mm-hmm. But if you put me in a spot where I get to watch people play in a new format, like Pro Tour Philly was my favorite Pro Tour of all time, the mm-hmm. first modern one. Yeah. The the Blazing Shoal Infect Pro Tour. Yeah, well, that, that Pro Tour was <laughs> wild in so many different ways. Yes. Especially since it got last minute changed the format too. Because <laughs> they like just created modern and were like, okay, this is modern now. And everyone's like, it's a month away. We don't. This format didn't exist last week. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think that that sort of thing should happen more often in yeah, high level play. Yeah, when when you get when it, when you get to a new format like that, not even a new specifically new format, it can just be like a set releasing into standard. Right, right. Uh, I'm more interested because I can see what people are doing and how it was different from what I'm thinking of doing, and like incorporate that into my ideas. Right, and and you are watching specifically. Because that's going to affect how you play Magic for the next couple of weeks. And that's a huge part of the appeal of watching these tournaments in a way that watching the International is not, you know, that's not going to affect how you play Dota the next time. No, I'm not going to, like, see what items people are building or, like, characters they're picking and then, like, grab my four closest friends who are extremely high level and, like, try to replicate that. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Right, right. So I I think that... There is a big gap there where, like, watching sports and watching esports is a spectator. The spectator is separate from the game in a way that in Magic, like, you're you're really part of the game and part of the community. So I think trying to make it an esport, you lose a lot of the important part of the experience of watching Magic. And that's doubled down by the fact that, like, 
you know, even if it were the MPL and you can't like necessarily picture them in their seats, if they were playing historic now with the mystical archive in it, like then you could get some of that. Like, Oh, I, I want to play these decks now in the new historic format, but they were just so bad at scheduling and executing around like clear opportunities for exciting play that, they just like threw that concept out the window yeah and i think i think todd on empty chance mentioned this where one of the easiest things they could have ever done was have the formats at the beginning of the season yeah and then since everyone has to submit their decks way ahead of time to presumably fix bugs which they just end up never they just fixing don't yeah uh <laughs> they could have just had everyone submit their decks put them into arena in a like queue that people pay for and then you get to a randomized deck that someone's playing in the, the mm-hmm. mythic whatever it's called yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that they could do if then you're invested because you like played that deck yesterday you want to see mm-hmm. if it actually wins or you're just suck because you couldn't win a game with it yeah or you do it the the opposite way and you have the tournament and then you give the people the ability to play the decks that they saw in the tournament but one way or the other like mm-hmm. let you're invested right right and they just never like executed on that concept so you know plenty of things wrong with the op system that existed with the mpl at the top but i want to kind of take that and talk about what we want to see in kind of our ideal organized play system and this you know i want to envision one in its entirety from bottom to top including the places where plebes like us are going to be playing the game uh, or you know hopefully we're a little more invested hopefully we're at like you know the second or third rung or something like that but you know from from the bottom to the very top of play starting kind of with the constraints that we know that we have we know that the new system is not going to be intended to like sustain by itself a professional player give them enough money to live their life no appearance fees, no salaries. So I think we can acknowledge that as a constraint of the new system, which is pretty fine to me. Like, that's not important to me in a system. The the promise of, like, a salary... (laughs) I think it's a bad promise because that can always be taken away from you by, like, Hasbro collapsing or whatever. So not having that promise is actively good. Yeah, I don't... I I was never a huge fan of appearance fees. The system just because mm-hmm. it felt like it was promising a dream that was mostly unattainable. Like, yeah. even if you were a Platinum Pro, you did it. Congratulations. Yeah. But everything below that level, and even sometimes that level, if you have to travel a ton, you're not making that much money. It's not worth it to be, like, a pro Magic player unless you super-duper-duper duper love the game and aren't doing it for the money anyway. Yeah, there were, like, five guys clearing, like, 45 grand from... from- the tournaments itself everybody who was making it work was doing it via content so yeah and that's just going to continue to be true so no appearance fees no salaries outside of that constraint though like i'm not going to impose any artificial other constraints on us here i think we're going to go ahead and like pretend that wizards wants this to work and wants it to be a good system for the players and like promote healthy approaches to playing magic and that sort of thing and, and promote the things that we think are important, just because this is our ideal system, not necessarily Watsi's ideal system. I think we can acknowledge the goals that Watsi would have with the system, but we don't need to constrain ourselves and be like, 
it has to be a system that forces people to spend $200 a month on arena. Like, at, you know, we, we, we don't need those rules. I wonder what you think about flights or minimum prize payout kind of like tied together in that way. I think minimum prize payout is a worse way of doing uh, travel awards because Agreed. it doesn't take into account the people who live in Southeast Asia and stuff like that. Yeah, distance is a huge deal, which I think they do two safe costs is the minimum prize thing. Yes. But it disenfranchises players. Yeah. Do you think... I, I So I personally don't think we'll ever get flights again. Nope, I agree, but my ideal system would have travel awards. Okay. I, I was okay with the idea of it when they got rid of it. I was like, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense. I'm sure it cuts down on administrative costs a lot and stuff, but ultimately, like, it's really just inequitable to players who live farther away from the tournaments yeah i agree so my ideal goals and and feel free to like add in any goals that you would have for an op system but i kind of want this to frame like what we're doing i think that an op system that works is worth investing money in and is a good thing for the players is one that number one promotes in-store play i think LGSs are the lifeblood of the community and super important. I think maintaining that place where a 14-year-old can go and learn things and play games and maybe escape parts of their lives that they don't like, like having the game stores available is so important. And an OP system that does not focus on getting players into stores and having fun in stores is a failure of an OP system to me. Yes, that's magic strength, right? That it's a mm -hmm. physical game and a social game. Yeah. So there's no reason to cut it all off and just make it a wholly digital, like individual aspect. That that's like not what magic is good at. No, we have to be flicking our cards. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I learned during the pandemic that uh, I'm just there's so many other games that are very good, and Magic's digital offerings are pretty bad. Mm -hmm. so I, I still love magic i'd love to play it there's you just have to promote paper play and the best way to do that is in store yeah and, and not just because of the paper you know i i think i'm a little more open to digital stuff and like including the digital magic options as part of the competitive landscape and my my goal here is not just like make sure people are playing with paper cards it's it's very much make sure that people can go to their atomic empires and east coast games and and that sort of thing and have that be have those exist like that's my that's like my number one priority here yeah i, I still think it is important to have like digital sphere that's competitive mm -hmm. i just didn't want to like it, it clearly focusing all on that aspect is not going to work. It it pulls up, it sucks the fun out of it and the the yeah, the, a lot of joy leaves the game when you can't go play with your friends. And not all of that was the fault of the system they put into place. Most of that was the fault of COVID, but we have seen like COVID has allowed us allowed us a window into a dystopian future where there is no paper magic and it makes me not want to play magic if that's the future, so couple of kind of connected things here. I think that the OP system should ultimately put just the highest level of play on display. Like there should be a way to see great players who have worked really hard playing high level magic. And 
that should be something that you can picture yourself doing if you put in the work as an aspirational goal. So it should be, you know, that super high level play with solid prizes should exist. You should be able to see it on stream and in articles and stuff. And there should be a clear path to get to that if you put in the work and play good enough. And it can be hard to get to, but you should know the rules for getting there. Mm-hmm. Certainly the whole point of the OP system existing at all is to advertise the game. I Most of this discussion is going to be outside of the bounds of like business return on investment for wizards of the coast but i think that an ideal op system goes hand in hand with advertising the game like that's the purpose of it for watsi but if you're doing it properly i think that uh, like acknowledging that also just makes the op system better like go back to our example of have the pros play the new interesting format it's better advertisement for the game and it's better for the people watching so do that (laughs) Like, imagine if we'd had a pro tour for Pioneer the, the like, month after it came out mm-hmm. instead of a standard pro tour the month before that was, like, 68% food Oko. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, be flexible with it. There are some concerns with... There was that that kind of difficulty for players who qualified for their first pro tour. And then they had to learn this draft format in like seven days. Cause it was the new draft format. And you know, that was tough on the players who were not already part of a powerful testing team. So you do need to be a little bit careful with that. But generally I think having the formats be exciting to watch is really important and, and generally a better way to advertise the game. I, I super agree. I kind of want to go on a short tangent about draft specifically, but we can save it for for later. I do have draft listed on, on multiple of these bullet points down here, or at least limited. So yeah, I'll, I'll bring I'll bring it up then. Yeah, and I think that a good OP system is also going to have some prestige to it, which comes certainly from oh, this magic is being played at the high levels. It comes from you know just like. Like, the Hall of Fame has a bunch of problems to it. Like, it's kind of silly to even have a Magic Hall of Fame. The requirements are, like, kind of nonsensical. Like, there's a lot of... There's a number of players in the Hall of Fame that it kind of doesn't make sense to have in the Hall of Fame. But there's something to that. Like, the idea that whenever Finkel wants to come back in place of Magic, he can, is, like, pretty important. And not letting him have access to Magic is, is, like bad also just like there's got to be some magic to watching the pro tour happen and part of that is continuing to call it the pro tour which has a 25 year history in the name like call it that like don't waste that don't call it mythic something and then change the name and then change the name again and nobody knows what anything is and now it's a set championship like what the hell is that who cares who who cares like the mythic arena tour use what you got you spent a lot of time like you can open a, a an inquest magazine from 20 years ago and it'll have an advertisement for the pro tour in it like there's there's a level of just i don't know i i think it's really important i think that's part of making it prestigious is like engaging with the things that you have developed over time and and like made a big deal yeah i, I agree it also helps i actually don't mind the the whole set championship name 
like as a, a standalone thing i think it's fine mm-hmm. it's way better than like a mythic that's what were they I, called <laughs> what were the pro were the mythic championships right mythic, yeah mythic championship it's garbage it doesn't that mean anything Sepa yeah. championship actually implies that this is the culmination of a set season that's which makes true. sense even though it isn't that at all, right. <laughs> it implies it at least. It needs to at least be that, right? But but right, like you can see what it could mean to be the Kaldheim champion, like, and then you exactly could have, you could have a trophy that is the axe or something. You know, you could do a thing with it if you really wanted to. They just didn't. But I think that's mostly solved by old Pro Tour lingo anyway, mm-hmm. because uh, Pro Tour Innistrad was Pro Tour Philly. And then mm-hmm. the very next Pro Tour, they just called Pro Tour Dark Ascension. And it's, Which is it a was good Hol- change. Yeah, it was in Honolulu. And they just kept doing that. Pro Tour Absent Restored into yep. Pro Tour Magic 2012, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So you knew exactly when the Pro Tour occurred and you didn't have to figure out which Pro Tour Chicago is this again. <laughs> yeah. They also need to get rid of that ugly trophy. That's <laughs> the Planeswalker symbol. And they need to make it different for each Pro Tour and make it have to do with the set that the Pro Tour is. If I can get a trophy that's an axe for winning the called the Pro Tour Kaldheim, just come on. You're you have so much money. Just make it the set symbol. Yeah, just make it the set symbol. So and when then, you win the Mirrodin set championship or the, or the Pro Tour Mirrodin, you just get a giant sword. Yes. The sword of Cauldre. Like that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do have the problem of there was a period where the set symbols were all kind of just blobs. The uh, guild pack dissension. Right, right, right. <laughs> and they've actually done quite a bit better with that lately. Like Eldraine had a good set symbol. Kaldheim had a, has a good set symbol. Ikoria has a good set symbol. So ho- hopefully it would encourage like more representational set symbols. Yeah, that would be great. Not a kind of just a bunch of doodles. Yes, the, the doodle symbols, uh, not good. Uh, and I and, do and, like, sorry, go ahead. And you can save the doodle symbols for like the commander sets so that we see them. We're like, oh, that set symbols nonsense. It's got to be from a commander set. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> uh, and I do like what you wrote here as another goal, which is no, no age cap, no age requirement. Like if a 14 year old wants to queue for the pro tour and then top eight it, like that's a good storyline. Don't cut that storyline off. Yeah. There was a story. Uh, I'm going to get the ages wrong, but not that wrong. Uh, someone who's played Hearthstone for a long time, like, got a really, really high rank when they were 12. Mm-hmm. And I think four years later, at 16, got invited to Worlds or something like that. So mm-hmm. He had some big Hearthstone accomplishment. And he's just allowed to do all that because Blizzard doesn't enforce, like, you've got to be 18 because our lawyers are garbage. Yeah. Kind of deal. No, it's, it's stupid. Like, it's... If you're going to make that dream exist... It is really cool if a 16-year-old can accomplish that dream. We always want to be promoting the next generation of players. And like that's part of it, is allowing them to engage in the competitive scene. So And it's really heartbreaking whenever I hear of a, a someone on Magical Line qualifying, like just crushing the tournament, not even close. And they just can't play, just can't qualify because yep. they're only 14, 15. Yep. Just like what? Why is this a rule? They beat everyone fairly. <laughs> it, it's a bummer. Right. There's something just really magnetic about the idea. And certainly I'm speaking from the perspective of a spiky player. The way I enjoy magic is playing sweaty matches against good players, getting the better of people because I 
figured something out or getting destroyed because I didn't think of something and, you know, somebody had a better plan than me. Like, that is how I enjoy magic. And so having a competitive scene that exists is important to me as a way of, like, contextualizing my own play. Like, I'm learning how to get good at standard and then maybe I can get to the next, you know. And I know that that's not how everybody plays magic certainly that's not how most people play magic it's not even how i play magic sure <laughs> uh but I, I think that i'm just going to continue operating under kind of an assumption that having the high level play exist I, I think we just have to assume that it is good for the game and generally helps it grow i like i'm not particularly interested in engaging in like well watsi's a business and the pro tour doesn't like clearly isn't returning the cash that they want to like i kind of just don't think that that's true i think maintaining magic as like this is the most deep and complex card game and the best tcg players in the world play this card game like has an enormous weight to it i've played so many card games and one of the like online games specifically too Mm-hmm. And one of the things people always talk about when players are good in that like game or something is, oh, they've played like four years of Magic at a high level. That's yeah. like a qualification for right. how, like, is an example of, uh, look at this player. They've just played Magic for four years. That game's good. Right, right. Like, I actually got get, like, like chills thinking about that because I know that that is true. Somebody starts doing well in Hearthstone. It's like, yeah, they've, that, like, that's like Sifka. Sifka. Right, yeah. like, like he's he's a pro tour champion he's that's that's why he's so good is like i mean sifka is an actual well, like yeah sifka is a monster genius but <laughs> but like that that is part of the evidence for oh yeah he's just very good he was very good at magic of course he's going to be good at this game yeah it's just nice when that's like a a, a big draw like magic has a, this long long history of very competitive players that skill is a huge part of and to go back to the age thing like really briefly like limiting for legal reasons like the skill cap of players Mm -hmm. is just so bizarre for what the goals of organized play should be right and i know other like pokemon doesn't have this problem and that's like a a more stratified game Mm -hmm. they just have different divisions for age yeah which makes more sense because you know the younger players play that card game right right and I don't think we need that, especially because like some of these zoomers are just kick my ass anyways. So. Oh yeah, I, I would if I go to Magic Online queue, I'm just never gonna five zero again. I've accepted <laughs> that. So in order to like promote these goals, stuff that I think are like attributes that help with that. So you know we mentioned like there needs to be a clear path to get to the high levels. There needs to be some amount of resiliency. Like once you level up within, you know, when you go up a tier, it can't just be like you got to top eight the next tournament or else you're just kicked out. Like there has to be resiliency there, whatever sort of tier of the game you are playing in. If you do real bad a couple of times, like you should be able to stay in for a little bit. If you do bad, then you just kind of get kicked down a tier rather than just like start from scratch. I think that's pretty important. And I don't think those need to be like a fully implemented league system like we had it's just a matter of like where you get your qualification points and those just need to be finagled so that you're qualified for the thing that makes sense at any given time 
I'll put this one that we kind of disagree a little bit last so that we can talk about it because I think some of these things are kind of no-brainers. Okay. Uh, I think that it's important to allow players opportunities to compete regardless of where they are on the planet Earth. I I just think that having the international community and competition as part of this is just a huge deal. Like, I want to play against players from everywhere and I want them to be able to play. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the best parts about COVID actually is... (laughs) Mm-hmm. there's no discrimination other than the actual availability of internet or service and time zones of tournaments well yes but that is mitigated a little bit by like the a greater community rising up and hosting a bunch of tournaments mm-hmm. but yeah the majority of wizards tournaments are just like all pacific style yep. which which sucks but it's even inconvenient for us on the east coast sometimes yes uh, I would like for there to be opportunities to play different formats at a high level. Like this whole existence of high level play is on arena. So it is standard and historic has just been an absolute slog. It's been difficult to watch. And so I think there needs to be the existence of multiple different formats and let's get limited back in there somehow, especially after watching the mocks and how that was produced to make drafting extremely watchable. There's lessons to take from that. We can watch high-level drafts and we can make it fun. You just need to pay people to to produce that. Yeah. I, I, I think we've said that for years, like in the mm-hmm. just talking about paper GPs, how they could just do it better with coverage and they just haven't. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that leads into like one of my other attributes of a system that I think supports the goals here is we need regular coverage. Like one of the big reasons that the SCG Tour was so good is that Every other weekend or more, there was a tournament to watch. And you got to see the casters that you like, hopefully. You got to see players kind of repeat their successes. Uh, but it was like on and it was a sh- it was it was a show that you watched. Like mm-hmm. I didn't I don't I haven't watched TV in years, but that was a thing that was like on my schedule, basically. I, I watched it even when it was too far away and I didn't really know that many people in the tournament. Mm-hmm. that's how good of a show it is yeah and and part of that is that you know it's a well-produced show and and that's that's good but also part of it was just like you got used to watching it and so even if it's not really like oh this isn't really the format that i want to watch i don't know anybody in this tournament like you still put it on because that's what you put on on saturdays when seg tour is happening so mm-hmm. take that lesson the organized play system that exists should have very regular coverage. Like if not every week, like at least twice a month or so introduce us to the players, have us follow them, introduce us to your casters, like make, have people able to like have favorite commentary teams and stuff like that. Just have that. And then other small stuff you want to kind of finagle your system so that it doesn't really matter when you do well in a tournament it's still kind of, you know doing well in a pt should kind of count the same regardless there was a version of the system where you know if you qualified for the last pt of a season and did pretty good in that it was completely meaningless and you just kind of start over a- after that season they sort of fixed that with the rolling schedule but it was like really confusing so that carried its own baggage but you want to come up with some sort of system where you can't be disappointed that this is the PT you qualified for because the points are like less valuable. Yeah. 
That was one of the, the worst parts of the old Pro Tour system, which had a, a lot of flaws, which we should try to avoid. Yes. Yeah. And then one thing that I would like is to integrate electronic and paper play into like a relatively cohesive system of qualifications. I don't need much electronic play as like the highest level play. The The system that I'm kind of viewing is like we have something like four PTs and one arena PT level event each year or something like that. But it's primarily paper play. And it's just that there are av clear avenues of qualification through arena and magic online for the high level play that mesh with the qualification system that you've made. How do you mean mesh? Like, do you want people from arena or magic online to qualify for the paper ones? Like it used to be. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I'll explain like my specific system that I've come up with kind of in some detail and that that may help explain it a little bit. But generally, I want my high level play to continue to be paper. And I, I just want for the PTQing system to be kind of synchronized between paper and the online play. So for me, I don't mind giving qualifications from specifically Magic Online to paper, because that's kind of what Magic Online was founded on, just a very, very close connection to paper. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's still running actual PTUs and set redemption is still a thing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like, just, you can just have people from Magic Online keep feeding into paper. That's fine. But for Arena, I view it a lot differently because it's a huge money-making venture for Wizards. And I know I'm not going to go huge into business here, but it's like, I feel like it's responsible to mention that they want to make a bunch of money off Arena. Sure. And I think a good way to do that would just have its own organized play system, not necessarily separate from Pro Tours, but I don't need... Like, I think a better system would be keep the qualifier things they have every weekend or whatever, however often it is, every month. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just have a Pro Tour for Arena players, mm -hmm. like a month after the, the paper Pro Tour. That way sure. you see the format develop, see how it's changed. And et cetera, et cetera. You just have four Pro Tours a year digitally, four Pro Tours a year on paper mm -hmm. and space them out a little bit. So you have a huge event two out of th two months out of every three. Sure. I can see that. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that. That way you don't also avoid the issue of like if you want to play paper and digital, by all means, go for it. Mm -hmm. But I really don't like it when like people qualified through Magic Online last year during the pandemic and they have to play Pro Tour on Arena. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden just had to get a bunch of arena cards. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want arena players to just be forced to buy a bunch of paper cards or vice. It's never really going to happen. Well, at least they can around, sell but... those cards after they buy them. It's not the same the other way around. Yes, yeah, yeah. But I, I would still prefer to have a more robust arena system that mm -hmm. gives Watsy money more directly than to have a cross-qualification thing for arena mm -hmm. and expect people to like maintain a bunch of collections. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. I, I wouldn't hate that, certainly. That that could work. I, I do want some amount of crossover between... Well, I, my my go ideal goal is if we have Pro Tours qualify for Worlds, mm -hmm. then you have a Worlds that is comprised of paper and digital players. Sure. I, I don't think that's quite enough for me because I want like kind of normal-ish players to cross over from Arena to paper because Arena is the main way that new players are getting introduced to magic these days and i think at lower levels it should also encourage 
you know, playing arena in which there should be ways that it encourages you to go to your local game store or to go, you know, I, there should be something there. And I'm not totally sure what that is, but like my brainstorm system, this kind of thing that I am visualizing, takes some things from the old system of paper play, but tries to fix some of the like really obnoxious parts of it. Uh, I just want to start off by acknowledging that big PTQs, they were fine for a certain amount of time. And then at some point they were absolutely untenable. They were just, you know, nine, 10, 11 rounds of Swiss, just winner didn't take work. All. Winner take all. You would drive hours, go O2, or you'd drive hours, go X2, miss top eight, get nothing. Like, bad system. Uh, also, I'll tell a short anecdote. I drove to Roanoke for one of the old PCQs, uh, and they had a back-to-back PTQ weekend. So it was really good value to drive to Roanoke because there's mm-hmm. a PTQ on Sunday and a PTQ on Saturday. So if you didn't win the one on Saturday, you could play along on Sunday. And of course, only one person wins. So on Saturday, I lost in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> and on Sunday, I my breakers were really bad. So I scooped the winning in to a person who was guaranteed to get it. Mm-hmm. So I basically had two really good runs. And it was still just a complete waste of time. Yeah. If not for like, you know, the normal tournament shenanigans. Yeah, fun to play tournaments, but it's also, it feels much better to get something out of it. And that was in 2010, 2011, something like that. It only uh, got worse it, from there. And the yeah. field was much smaller. <laughs> yeah. I still played seven or eight rounds a day. Now I would play like 11 or 12. Yep. And the PPTQ, RPTQ system was also pretty bad. What it did really well was it gave important-ish tournaments, you know, once each season, a store got to run a PPTQ and smaller stores would be able to get bigger crowds. And that that's good. That's a good thing. I'd like to maintain something like that in the new system. But you also had these seasons where, you know, you'd play five PPTQs, you'd top eight all of them, you'd lose in the quarters or the semis of each one, and you just wouldn't have anything at the end of the day. And yeah, maybe you'd get some, some product as prizes, but... Like the, I, I think that the winner take all part of PTQing that managed to continue to exist in every iteration of PTQing just is bad. It sucks. It feels bad. And it doesn't need to be that way. So, in my system, basically, like every tier of competition, you are earning points to help you get to the next tier of competition. You can get qualified by finishing in certain spots, but also, like, if you top eight, you'll get some number of points. So what I'd like to see is at the the baseline, the entry level of play, basically all local open events give some amount of PTQ points. Pro you, points. Of what? Pro points. Well, yeah. no, because we've got we've got different <laughs> levels of of like points or fractional invitations or whatever you want to call them here. So these are really okay. PTQ points. Okay. Uh, you know, you win your FNM, you get some number of PTQ points. You add these up over the course of the season, and then at the end of the season, there is a regional PTQ. And everybody who has earned enough points, whether it is by you know winning a particular qualifying tournament that qualifies you for the RPTQ, or just by playing enough FNMs and stuff and doing well in them. And obviously the numbers have to be tweaked, and this is difficult, and Wizards is never going to want to do something like this. I don't care. Whatever. This is my ideal system. We'll just get uh, Evan to figure it out. 
So at the end of the season, if you have enough points, then you get to play in the RPTQ. If you don't have enough points or if you don't redeem them, then they roll over until you do. You can like save, you can bank up to like one RPTQ qualification or whatever. But I think it, it would be really silly for you to like start playing two weeks before the RPTQ or your way up to half an invite and then lose those. So, you know, should roll over. Yeah. Regional PTQ once per season, those qualify you for, I, I think the regional pro tour is like kind of an interesting concept that would be kind of cool to maintain. I don't like having all of the regional pro tours on on the same weekend or within a week of each other. I think it's actually cool to like space them out pretty significantly and you can have like 12 a year, one each month or something like that. And then they qualify you for the big pro tours, the big international pro tours. So your regional PTQs qualify you for the regional pro tour. If you don't, you know, get one of the actual slots at the regional PTQ to get you to the regional pro tour, you can earn points, you know, fractional invites towards a regional PT. I think that GPs also can give these fractional invites and can give invites to the regional pro tours. And then those regional pro tours, you can tier up from there. You earned invites to the big PT where there's like four of those a year. If you don't get an invite, you're going to earn fractional invites. And these can all be banked from season to season. You know, just add your points together. Even if you only get a couple at a time, eventually you put together a full invitation and you get to go to your regional pro tour. How big are regional pro tours? I don't know. Your system? Like, are they central North Carolina or is it like eastern United States? Yeah, I was picturing like that, that size. Yeah. Eastern United States or like United States or something like that. Pretty substantial. And then they qualify you for the big, the set PT, basically. That, you know, there's there's one for each release. That's the worldwide one. And basically, you know, the, the, the concept is really consistent at each level, which is at each level, you can earn points towards the next level. And it also is relatively easy to chain them. You know, if you finish in the top, you know, 25% of a regional PTQ, then you're qualified for the next regional PTQ. Or I don't know exactly how all the points would work, but the idea is you're going up a tier each time. And then whenever you kind of like don't do so hot for a couple of tournaments in that tier, then you fall down a tier and have to earn your way back up. But it rewards consistent performance and you you have a ladder that you're you're climbing. Not Not a, you know, an arena ladder, but like an actual, <laughs> I can put points together. One step at a time. One step at a time. Yeah, we're not going to fall down the ladder. Right. And just like having to keep climbing up. Exactly. The big PTs, the set PTs, are the ones that have the big prizes. There are, you know, you qualify for worlds through those. Key is that at no level is it winner take all. Even if you lose your win and in, you still walk away with some amount of fractional invites or qualifier points or whatever it is for the next thing. And I just like, I, like, I want that kind of grind that kind of like I'm getting there like one step at a time. Yeah, that's that's mostly good. I one thing I like about this proposed system, it's pretty simple to communicate like what you're wanting for. Like every every everything you play, in, you get points towards the next biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you're playing in locals, you get points towards the regional PTQ. If you're playing in the regional PTQ, you get points towards the 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 regional PT, mm -hmm. which gives you points towards the big PT, yep. which qualifies you for worlds or the next one. Mm -hmm. 
all pretty simple. Yeah. They would need to make an app where you can yeah. look and see how many points you have at each level. That's that's one thing they would need to do that obviously I have no confidence wizards could actually do, but we're talking about an ideal OP world, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It can just be this like DCI-esque thing where yeah. they just reboot the old software and assign a point every time you do something. Oh yeah, ideal OP includes reinstating DCI numbers. <laughs> the, the, I don't understand how tournament play is going to exist without dci numbers. tracking yeah it's <laughs> yeah i i don't get it but i will nitpick a little bit on your system mm-hmm. i don't think fnms should give anything i think fnms should be a purely casual tournament uh, because i i know a lot of people's fnm experience is diminished greatly mm-hmm. by super tryhards like myself okay and a lot of people who just want to play fnms casually and like play new decks or just not take it that seriously also like myself sure <laughs> just don't want to deal with like having to try just like having a casual tournament you can just play magically like locally and not push people out because you always want to win that's pretty fair i i mean my goal is like make it easy to onboard somebody into the competitive system like you know somebody's like oh download the app and then you look at it and you're like oh i already have some rptq points neat but but maybe that doesn't necessarily uh, need to come from the fnms I yeah, I don't think it needs to come from the FMs directly. Like if you're playing FNM, you're gonna meet people there. Mm-hmm. And if they're like, hey, I'm gonna go to the you know the PBTQ next weekend, you wanna come? They're like, what's that do for me? Et cetera, et cetera. They don't have to like actually have like two points or whatever from an FNM right. just to ruin the FNM experience for other people. Sure. I mean, I do want there to be like a healthy number of local events that are giving points. And I think it would just be like you know, PPTQs continue to exist. Like each store can put on a PPTQ each season and they just like have a bigger point multiplier than other tournaments and, and they give you your RPTQ points. Uh, but yeah, I don't know exactly how that would work. Maybe maybe it is classifying your events as competitive or casual. And so Thursday Night Modern at Atomic Empire is would give you competitive points. Yeah, I think that works better. And you can have like a set number of points or whatever a store is allowed to give out and they can just do a tournaments however they want to yeah because i know one of my favorite ever pptq systems was by blue ox games Mm -hmm. in greenville uh what they would do is uh, just have the entry fee for a pptq be free zero dollars just come in and play because you just wanted people in the store to buy cards and all the stuff you want people in stores for you don't really make that money off of (laughs) your money off of entry fees right you make it Uh, on the sandwiches if you're smart yeah, and the prizes don't really exist except for the qualification because that's pretty much all people care about anyway for PPTQs, just the qualification. Yep. So cut the prize. Don't don't you don't have to pay like thirty bucks to get some packs if you don't win. Just zero dollars. Come drive up, play standard, buy cards from us if you need them, et cetera, et cetera. That was a really really good idea. It, it was fantastic. I love Terry for doing that. Mm-hmm. And I wish stores could get the freedom to have that kind of system where just set up the tournaments however you want but you're only allowed to give up x points per tournament and you can have x points per month to use however you want yeah and that could also induce some creativity where it's like this is our ptq series like you know we're we're gonna uh, however you want to set it up and then i think there there could be some neat stuff and they already have a similar system from the Wizards Play Network, which determines how much product mm-hmm. a store gets, receives, and can buy, like FNM promos, pre-release stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, t- certain tiers of ordering, I believe is how it works. I, I don't run a store, so I don't know exactly. But I do know that there are certain tiers in the Wizards Play Network, which determines how much stuff you get. Yeah, And it's usually based on the size of your store, how many events you're running, that sort of thing. And so Wizards already has the system in place, so it would be really easy to be like, okay, Atomic Empire, that's a big store. They run a ton of events. They're you know already Wizards Play Network super, or whatever it's called. I don't know, I don't know yeah, the yeah. sizes. So, so they get a bunch so of So they points. get this many points, right, right. But Mom and Pop's shop, they don't have that many tournaments, but I mean, they're a local store, so we're going to support them. So they get the small or whatever it's size for right. Wizards Play Network. Yeah, and maybe you put all of these points into a PTQ, a PPTQ that gets all of the players from the area to come get those points up for grab, like however you think is most beneficial to your store. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really big on local play. Mm-hmm. I think mostly because it's you know how I play Magic the most. Right. I'm always at locals. I really like promoting local scenes and stores, especially. So I would love to have a system that just puts more emphasis on that rather than like. Uh, one-time PTQs. If there's only three, like per PT in the region, yeah. and that's that's not a great way to do things for me. No, I yeah. Anything that encourages you to play in events after accumulating, like if you play one of these events and you win it, maybe that that just qualifies you. But you can keep playing to earn points. You don't have to like be locked out of the system. <laughs> If you can't earn right. anything anymore, which I really hated for the old PPTQs, like you won one early in the season, you're just gone for the rest of the season. Right. Oh, and and one one part that I think I didn't mention that I would like to have it be a part of this is you can earn your qualification for that RPTQ if you earn extra points. You know, you can bank up to one entire like qualification. So there, you know, you keep playing the PPTQs and stuff. Get yourself locked for another RPTQ after that. Like no reason to stop playing. You can still get prizes for these. You can still get points for these things. Yeah, I I think that's nice. What about GPs? You you didn't talk about GPs really in your system. Oh, so I think they should be basically giving the same sort of rewards as the RPTQs. Like if you top eight a GP, you should still qualify for a regional pro tour. If you don't top eight, but you do well, you should get points or fractional invites towards the regional pro tour. And yeah, that, that should be kind of the level that GPs are at, I think. Right. I'm, we don't have to go super deep into like my system because it's mm-hmm. not as fleshed out as yours. I like yours a lot. But one thing I was thinking about while I was making it was what are GPs for? Like if you're mostly regional, mm-hmm. like old GPs were a way to get pro points to qualify for events and you wanted people flying all over the place so you could put on like good coverage but towards the end gps aka magic fests just kind of devolved into not devolved evolved mm-hmm. into more of like there's a small main yeah. event but we're just gonna have a huge convention and it's gonna be good and side mm-hmm. events are like way more cool <laughs> so well okay and so so one thing here as well is that not only should we be promoting in-store play, but I think it would be cool to promote third-party organizing of large competitive tournaments. And maybe it's something like once once you've hit a certain size, you can apply to be a Grand Prix. And so like this, this Open is now a Grand Prix and gives these types of qualifier points or something like that so star city starts running grand prix nrg starts running grand prix right right channel fireball 
Uh, yeah, and they can kind of run them how they want within whatever. Here's how you hand out points for this. You're a certain size. You get this many points to hand out for your tournament series. Maybe that's what Grand Prix become. Because it, it does, like, I kind of got the feeling that maybe that's where they're headed towards anyways. It's like, I think on, on MTG Rants, they use the, like, PGA Tour as a an example of this. Like, there's a lot of golf tournaments run by different organizations they ultimately like qualify you for the PGA tour. Like maybe a system like that kind of exists, but I think you could probably maintain the like GP branding through that. I think there's probably a way to do that. I think it, it's tough for me because the convention style GPs are in my eyes, way more successful than main event GPs ever were. Mm-hmm. And I think transitioning to more command fest type deals and just having them be more conventions anyway is mm-hmm. going to be like really good and really successful and just like good for the game in general. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason not to have those. I think that they can pretty much exist like that. Do they even need a main event? Maybe some of them have them if the organizers think it makes sense, but uh, maybe sometimes they won't. It, it seems better to me to have the more convention things because the like GP just brought people together without really a lot of people. If you had a 1500, I keep interrupting myself. <laughs> if you have a 1500 person GP or like mm-hmm. a 2000 person GP, there's only like 600 people in the main event. That means 900 people came to not do the main event, which is right. more. Right. And that's not, that wasn't uncommon. Yeah. So like, do we need a main event for Grand Prix or can we just do something else and give the Grand Prix title to like the SCG opens and have them start rewarding points? Yeah. And I think it, Right. I think that kind of makes sense. And maybe some of the Magic Fests have Grand Prix going on in them and not all of them have to. But I think keeping the Grand Prix name associated with a relatively high level competitive open event, it, like that makes sense to me. Okay, cool. Um, a bunch of my, honestly, a bunch of my stuff when I was reading, I wasn't reading your stuff because you're typing all this all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but most of my ideas just kind of mirror yours, but less thought out because mm-hmm. I was working at the time. <laughs> makes sense. I was just kind of like thinking about this on my morning run. And so, but yeah, that, that's basically my main concerns for any organized play. And I hope Watsy really takes this to heart is supporting local play at, at a good level or mm-hmm. a good level. Yeah. And then extending that into clear pathways to worlds ultimately. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like, you know, play a bunch of FNMs, get to worlds like you could for Pro Tour Dark Ascension for <laughs> no reason. Yes. No, that is not what I want. But it can be, you know, play your PTQs, get to a PT, play your, your RPT, get to a PT, play the PT, get to worlds. That's like stepping stones, clear path. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah. I don't need to be in the MPL. I don't need to like be a Hearthstone pro special invites like because it the old system just didn't make sense how you qualified for things or you couldn't Mm -hmm. and i i actually do like the idea of the like alongside arena stuff that we discussed briefly where you have like arena pro tours alongside normal pro tours sure because you know historic exists right so yeah you can't have historic pro tours otherwise sure yeah how would you know what cards are in historic Yeah, I think that Arena or Magic Online, but like a digital client is an easier way to show off drafting as well. It's just, I mean, you can certainly do it with paper play if you 
have a good production team and you pay them to create the systems and you have a graphic that shows somebody's pool as they are drafting and then and also like their neighbors like on the mocks but that's certainly going to be more work for paper play than it would be for a digital client and so an advantage of that is like the arena pt could more easily have presentable draft and you could do like cube or something as a format much more easily in an arena pt yeah i would like one of the pts every year to be teamed like uh mm-hmm. a, like 825 was or whatever they call that pro tour yeah pro tour 25 that one was really good also it didn't have limited in it so it was kind of a seamless experience as well sure but it would be also cool to have you know arena cube pro tour with some historic in it mm-hmm. i'd watch that yeah one of the downsides of uh, like boring standard formats especially if uh, under like the proposed system earlier we we're thinking about if you have the pro tour in paper for innistrad one month before the arena one you do the innistrad one people are done with it kind of then you go to arena you could play standard again or you could play historic uh, but if you're su- you schedule it as standard because like the fall set Maybe you don't have the format be draft again. Maybe you just have it be cube instead. Yeah. <laughs> Give people a different reason to watch it. Yeah, then I, I think that that's excellent. I think that like vintage cube is kind of questionable for high level play because of the variance and power level in the cards, but it was still really fun to watch, even though the stakes were super high and a lot was like, oh, wow, that's a turn one Ravel Master. Like, that's a $5,000 turn one Ravel Master. How else are we going to argue over Blade Splicer versus, you know, Channel? Yeah, the discussion that resulted from that cube was wonderful. So I, maybe the discussion wouldn't be the same for Arena Cubing, but I bet you could make a really fun, interesting Arena Cube experience being played at a high level. I also think they can go especially as more cards get added artificially to magic arena with mm-hmm. like the anthologies and such you could start having a really robust cube environment that's just not like anything you can play on arena except for the cube sure yeah yeah absolutely and have that cube be available obviously it needs to be available before the pro tour so people can practice with it but people it's also fees of course yes but but it's also like people play that cube for a while and then they get to see it played at a professional level. That's neat. Yeah. Oh, look, Golos is is busted just as I do in all my drafts at home. Yeah. Or, oh, I never thought of drafting that five-color deck because I've only been cubing for a little while. I'm going to go try that. Like, that's yeah. sick, too. Yeah, I'm down for more cube experiences in yeah. play. Uh, it's pretty hard to do in paper just because the size of the event. But on a digital... Mm-hmm easily accomplishable yeah huge advantage to digital and like a a helps justify its existence i think in in my eyes as a competitive Mm -hmm. arena yeah the the drafting process on uh the arena is hopefully they can make it really clear i don't think they can right now uh, because their program is not very flexible Mm -hmm. but this is our ideal op system so it includes updating arena in order to you know include spectator mode a good draft spectator mode a the ability to rebuild games that crash honestly it doesn't even have to be that good of spectator mode it can be like what they did with magic online which is just like kind of record everyone's screen Mm -hmm. and display it 
And that's kind of good enough. Uh, Magic Online's interface for displaying cards is significantly better than Magic Arena's for because you get to see like the physical cards mm-hmm. in the packs and stuff like that. But it's it's still workable. I think you can still do it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, I I get like excited thinking about the possibilities. I come down to earth a little bit when I remember the company that I'm hoping will execute on these possibilities. But there's, there is the opportunity to create something really, really cool, really watchable, really inspiring. And there's a lot of like resources they could tap into to make this work. Will they do any of it? I don't know, but like the possibility of a system that doesn't really cost much more than what they were spending on the MPL, probably cost less than what they were spending on the MPL. That would be mm-hmm. really cool and like kind of gives you gives you that fire when you think about it. Like it could exist. Yeah, and I'm a, a little disappointed they didn't have any plan of what they wanted to do at all. Yes. For like a year. Like what what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm hoping the at least work through some of their nonsense and just put together a workable system that I can feel good about playing in. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, that's the main hope. Like, and, the and we're spoiled are all too, right? Because we don't have to care that there's no real magic from Wizards in 2022 because by then probably the SCG tour will be back and we're just like two hours from Roanoke. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, worst case, we're just playing SCG events again. But, so yeah, we're spoiled yes. in that we get that. But not everyone lives on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, and I badly want that for everyone. I want everybody to have the opportunity to play. And I mean, this is one of the reasons why I do want digital to coincide in some ways with the format. If you live in the Philippines, you should be able to play Magic and you should be able to get to the Pro Tour and the opportunities should exist and it, it, it can't be just like an overwhelming, looming impossibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we covered most of what I wanted to. I, I would be really interested in hearing like other people's ideas for this and like feedback on, on the ideas that we've presented here. I don't know if this kind of outline of a system is, is useful, like will have be useful to anyone in any way, but I had fun thinking about it and imagining, kind of almost fantasizing about the possibilities of a system like this. We're just kind of like imagining a better world, and that's always worth doing. Yeah, if Even nobody if, does you know, that, it's not really gonna. It may not happen, but yeah, but if nobody does that, it, it never will happen. That's true. Do you want to answer a, a Patreon question? Sure. All right. So for Patreon question this week, Burnt Toast asked us. Uh, I've been following a Pioneer meta on and off since its release, and it's shaping up to be pretty diverse and fun, at least in the tournament results. I'm worried that it kind of missed its chance to become super popular, and with the return of Paper Magic just around the corner, I'm wondering if more LGSs will even bother picking it up as part of their event offerings. What do you think is the future for Pioneer and Paper? Yeah, that's tough. I do think that Pioneer is pretty good, but it has no eyes on it whatsoever. And just the question is, do the eyes come back when when paper play resumes? I don't know, man. That's tough. So Pioneer definitely missed its chance because mm-hmm. it's just like 
unintentionally set up to fail. You maybe that's probably the wrong phrase, but it just did fail because you know it got released right when standard was horrible. Oko existed, so everyone flocked to it. SCG literally changed their invitational, like their twice a year tournament that's huge, from standard to pioneer, which was which was uh, announced like a couple of weeks before the tournament, just because no one would play standard, no one wanted to play standard, and everyone loved them for that decision. It was mm-hmm. applauded. Yes, and then you know Uro was printed. And Underworld Breach and Inverter and Heliod were all like destroying the format. And then a pandemic hit, so no paper tournaments existed. And Wizards also Companions came out right after that, and the format was horrible. Every format was horrible. That's what Companions did for like a month. And then Wizards let the horrible combo meta just drag on for six months after that. And a point where people were mostly just playing Arena and had no reason to go back to Pioneer ever. So it kind of got shafted throughout no real fault of its own. Yep. I don't blame anyone for not playing pioneer right now. It's there's just like not a reason to, but with paper magic coming back, I think one of the true strengths of paper magic over digital is that there's a lot of different formats and it would be hard for me to imagine a world where the paper pro tours aren't some combination of standard modern and pioneer because you want to have those tournaments be different from the ones you're also holding on Arena, right? And you only got two formats on Arena, Standard and Historic, and it's way easier to view Standard tournaments, or any tournament really, on Arena. But you can't play Pioneer or uh, Modern on Arena. So if you have tournaments that support the Pro Tour of of Pioneer and Modern, you have to support them at local levels or lower levels as well. Mm-hmm. which will mean, you know, people will just start playing Pioneer again. Yeah. So I do think there's hope for Pioneer, but it requires a, a little help. Like, WotC has to commit to making GPs or PTs into Pioneer as a format, or SCG has to start doing their tournaments in Pioneer, which I imagine they will. It's just c- kind of silly not to. I think it was a really good move to change the legacy seat from legacy to pioneer or even honestly the standard seat right from standard to pioneer well yeah like, and that's probably true that might be the biggest push is that one of those seats in scg team tournaments when scg comes back is going to be pioneer and legacy was kept afloat by the legacy seat in those tournaments like pretty drastically and uh i think that may that may be the case for pioneer as well yeah, I think it will have a similar effect. But Pioneer actually has a lot more going for it than Legacy does because you can Afford acquire the, the decks way easier. <laughs> yes. yeah. Like if I I had a chance to buy Lion's Eye Diamonds years and years and years ago, and I just didn't because they were like $50. Yeah. And that was too expensive. Right, it was. Uh, but now it's like, I don't even, I don't know how much they are. I'm afraid to look, but they're not $50 anymore. I can tell you that. It's probably what, $400 or something? I don't know. I'll look for you. Oh, thank you. But they Legacy just has these cards that are just never going to get reprinted ever, and that's that could be really tough. Oh, six hundred dollars. Oh God, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Five five seventy five is what it says here. Whew. Okay. So yeah, you don't have any five hundred dollar cards in Pioneer. Not a single one. 
even like the gnarliest edition of anything in particular probably doesn't hit five hundred dollars. No, and all the decks in Legacy I want to play are pretty much Lion's Eye Diamond based. Mm. Yeah, so that's tough. I guess you just have to hope that Jay isn't playing Lion's Eye Diamond that weekend. <laughs> Or needs to buy a house or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he might have sold his diamonds to buy a house. That's true. That's <laughs> just like, I, I can't blame him for just like buying a house with four cards. No, at some point you got to sell them, right? Like, yeah. yeah, hopefully. I mean, Pioneer is a cool format. It has the ability to develop. And I do hope that it comes back. I, I think that, honestly, team tournaments will make it a thing again. Because Pioneer. Yeah, I think that's the main. Yeah. Like Pioneer has to, I and I think it's Legacy that has to be replaced. I think it's just kind of untenable for Star City to continue having Legacy be one of its formats, unfortunately. Yeah, so. I think Modern is the new Legacy as far as paper logic mm-hmm. is, go, is concerned. It's just the eternal format that most people have access to, and all the cards can be required of it. And I wish Wizards would recognize that and like stabilize the format a little more. Sure. Or in the case of Modern Resonance 2, just complete upheaval. Let's go. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Not who cares. I side note also while we're tangenting here, I would like more auxiliary product to be allowed into Modern. Uh, not necessarily because I just love True Day Notes or whatever. <laughs> it just feels wrong that a bunch of Commander cards or Conspiracy cards or Battle Bond or whatever just aren't allowed in the format because. They just aren't. It's, it's always set kind of weird with me. Even though some of the cards are just... I wouldn't want in the format, like True Name. But some of them, like Azra Oddsmaker, some random Battle Bond cards, mm-hmm. are, are actually could be really cool additions to the format. Yeah. Yeah, true. I don't know. I, I don't Palace have any Jailer. particular stance on it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Palace Jailer would probably do kind of fine stuff in Modern because... I mean, it'd be good in Humans. Be pretty gross in humans, potentially. Well, humans need something to get back from their lava dirt depression. <laughs> there will probably be something in Modern Horizons, right? More lava dirt, lava dart two. There's something with sacrifice a mountain as an alternative cost. Who knows? It's a little fire blast. It's a shock <laughs> that you sacrifice a mountain for. Um, that card would probably be pretty busted. Yeah. That's what Modern Horizons 2 all about, CCR. <laughs> Just being a little busted. Yeah, I... So, man, and, and then this this ties back to the larger point of the episode and probably something that I wanted to say earlier and, and didn't really come up with. But, uh, you know, one thing that you were mentioning is like a uh, an important part of Pioneer making a resurgence is for Wizards to have tournaments that are Pioneer, GPs or whatever in the Pioneer format. Um, And I think that's a big deal for every format. And I think it's one of the reasons that high level organized play existing is good. It provides context and meaning, like larger overarching meaning to formats in a way that like if you don't have that format being played at at a competitive level, it loses it. I haven't played any Strixhaven Limited and I love playing Limited. It's like a main way that I engage with magic, but the more that it is not being played at a high level, the less just like naturally I gravitate towards it. 
I, you know, there's a bunch of formats I drafted that I never played at a competitive level, but there was always the idea that like, oh, if I top eight a, a sealed PPTQ, then I got to be able to draft this format. So I should know how to play it well. Or if I top, if I day two a GP of this, I got to be able to draft it. So that, that context and like value add to the format is there. And so I, I, when- I love that stance. Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, and, and like, I, I am going to draft some, like I've drafted most of the sets that have come out like to a pretty, like pretty reasonable. Like I drafted a lot of Zendikar, I drafted a lot of Kaldheim because I do just enjoy these formats, but there is an extra push from having it exist at higher levels where I would like to engage in, hopefully. I, I agree. I also like your point about, you know, playing sealed PTQs and making sure you know how to draft the format, which is hilarious because I remember playing, I played a lot of sealed PTQs, especially mm -hmm. Innistrad block. I, I cannot tell you how many times I lost to Olivia Vildera in the card. <laughs> but uh, my strategy for sealed was always just draft as much as I wanted and never play a single game of sealed. PTQ. <laughs> like that's just always what I did. <laughs> like I never played a single game of sealed until I was at the tournament. Yeah. I, I had that happen a couple of times. It's not great for top eighting those PPTQs, honestly. No, but the field is easier then. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, you know, uh, playing Amonkhet Hour of Devastation. Like, I practiced a little bit of sealed, but I drafted a ton and then top aided a PPTQ and then drafted and just, you know, I had drafted. 40 times or something like that because i actually like that format a lot and is this with hour or without with hour okay Amon triple amiket not great hour of devastation yeah. quite good quite really good it was like eldritch moon yeah it, it, it made a huge difference and so i ended up drafting a lot on magic online and then i got to a pptq managed to kind of bumble my way through the sealed and then hit the top eight and kind of outdrafted the table I mean, I, I got handed some stuff, but also, like, clearly people's card evaluations were not quite correct and stuff, and, and mine were way closer to what was accurate and pretty easily won that PVTQ. Having that as an extra motivation to be good at a limited format makes playing the limited format feel more meaningful, and I think that's true for every format that has competitive, at least for me, every format that has higher level competitive play. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, especially for people like you and not like me who will just drive to tournaments having not played any games of the respective format <laughs> <laughs> just 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 for the experience <laughs> i'll do that for limited i'll do that for constructed it doesn't really matter yeah I just like playing games you know i'll do that sometimes i'm not like allergic to the idea of it but i would prefer not to i uh, see i'm just i'm just in it for the the stories i know you're very pure <laughs> And also, I'm not, I've played enough Magic, right, that it's not so detrimental that I don't know all the ins and outs. Right, of course. Like, you'll at least be playing around Counter Magic or around Sweepers or whatever. Like, that's built in. I, it's just, you know, I, I think we have slightly different favorite feelings in Magic, right? Like, you, you have, like, story-based experiences and stuff like that. My favorite experience is when I figure out a, a particular slot or a strategy or sideboard card or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this breaks this matchup wide open. And then I get somebody with that. 
or 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 even just like a, a play pattern or something like that like playing winding constrictor against red black and like a big important play pattern was if they don't play a two drop don't play a two drop because they're just going to abrade it at the end of your turn and then knowing that and then having that buy a couple of percentage points and then winning way more than most people did with that deck in that matchup because of it you know that that sort of thing that's what makes me feel like oh yeah this is magic i i got there and and i'm i, I appreciate that stuff like i'll when i was playing the you know let's just steal your format example the blue red godfrey's gift deck mm-hmm. uh, the big decks at the time were the winding constrictor uh, deck and Grixis Energy, which was a garbage deck. That was played. not good. <laughs> but everyone it was played only it. good because Glint Sleeve Siphoner was a very good card, and every other part of that deck was awful. But basically, with my deck in that specific matchup, I realized pretty intuitively, like not directly, because I don't really think about magic like that, mm-hmm. but I intuited that I could just play my derpy creatures, never ever combo them, and just attack them to death with like one ones and one twos. <laughs> the whole game. Because their removal just sucked at dealing with that. Yeah. When you had like a 24 creature deck, but you played them all in like turn four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they just couldn't handle the just incidental pressure on top of your combo. Well, I need to bring back champion and then bury them because they were terrible against that card. <laughs> or honestly just play combat celebrant and they have to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and figuring that out let me win a bunch but i didn't enjoy that aspect as much as i enjoy the aspect of like i went to a tournament with a deck i liked no one really had on their radar then just crushed everyone yeah that is cool too sure i guess that's what i think about (laughs) like i don't i don't because i don't think i'm super special like i don't have a lot of uh value in me figuring out stuff i think it's just mostly luck most of the time Mm -hmm. like i i figure out stuff before people because I'm just playing different stuff. Sure. Yeah, I don't think I'm super special either. And that's kind of why it's so rewarding when it's like, oh, I put in the work and now I am playing the team or energy mirror better than any of my opponents. And like, it feels better because like, I am not a a super gifted technical magic player. I have to talk things over. I have to read articles. I have to put together a strategy. And then when that results in... You know, sometimes it results in, oh, crap, like I made some bad assumptions and I was wrong and now I'm getting buried. Sometimes I get it right and just like have better combat math and have better sequencing and my opponents just like can't win. And when that happens, because it's rare, it's like, oh, yeah, we did it. Like this feels good and I'm not going to feel this again for another year or two. So I'm going to enjoy it right now. Okay, that's fair. I just like... I just like playing the stuff that I find interesting, and when it's good, mm-hmm. I feel good about it. Sure. Like when I when I played Charge Tron in the the Hogak SDG open, yeah, with Collins and Jeremy, because you know Hogak was easily the best deck, right. like not even close. And I could have played it; I had all the cards. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure I beat Hogak a majority of the time with Charge Tron <laughs> deck. So, uh, and Jeremy and Collins are like, yeah, just go for it, and. <laughs> we that's the only team tournament i've played where like everyone on my team won roughly an equal amount mm-hmm. like usually in a team tournament you have one person just crushes everything like yes. just 14 o's and then the, when you're doing well and then one of the other two players just like take turns winning basically mm-hmm. right because the average result in a tournament is to like win a little over 50 percent of your matches so 
that's that's kind of how you get there in a team tournament but any team tournament i've done well and it's just one person just crushing it for one reason or another and then the other person the other two people just taking turns like picking up points here and there yeah but that that tournament when I was playing Charge John, Jeremy's on Waterbed, and Collins was on Reanimator. We just like took turns losing and winning in the correct amount to just like kind of crush. And it was nice. It's efficient. That's nice. Yeah. We didn't have to have one person like carry all the whole way. Gotcha. Whew. Well, we've certainly gone astray, but I think we talked about some fun stuff. This is the end of the episode. We're allowed to do whatever we want. We're always, this is our podcast. You're always allowed to do whatever we want. <laughs> we answered the question. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. We really appreciate you sticking with us and listening. You know, this is one episode that I hope kind of sticks around. Like I would legitimately appreciate if people recommended it to their friends and stuff, because I think that if we all kind of work together to imagine an OP system and talk about it, and put the ideas out there as much as possible. I, I don't care. It doesn't need to be identical to my system. I want to talk about ideas and I want to fuel the collective imagination of the competitive magic crowd and help those things become a reality by, by you know, advocating for them. So this is an episode that I would ask and encourage people to share if, if you think that we made some good points. And I, I would welcome any tweets back to us you know if you take issue with anything i i think that this discussion is so important to have or honestly even if you have your own system and have enough time to like write it out sure just do that yeah just start circulating we'll retweet it whatever you want start circulating other ideas around just like get people talking about it because watsi i don't if there's anything i've learned from like the past five years of watsi decisions is that they very rarely take their time to do anything they feel like they're just rushing into stuff all the time even the mpl felt super rushed because mm-hmm. if you recall it was called the magic pro league and there was no pro league yes <laughs> correct that took a year to do and it was real real bad when they started and then it was pretty bad in the second iteration so my level of confidence of watsi taking like a year to actually plan out a good system is extremely low Yep. So the more data information or like stuff we put out there for Watsi to like pick up and look at, I think it's just going to be benefit from, beneficial for everyone. Even if they're not like something Watsi can realistically do, they'll still see it or hopefully see it and be like, okay, this is kind of what people want. Let's see what we can do in that framework. Yep. Yep, exactly. So thanks. We do really appreciate it and tell your friends. Uh, if you want to let us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come hang out in our Discord and all that good stuff. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. And that's, that's plenty from us for today, I think. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.